Thank you for listening to this production from New Life Presbyterian Church. If you'd like to find out more, visit newlifepca.org. Good morning, everybody. Great to see all of you. I have missed you. Missed talking with you, fellowshipping with you, and worshiping with you. Um, yeah, again, hello to those of you watching by video. Uh, we miss you as well. Longing for the day when we can be back with you. Um, wow, what a strange, strange few weeks it has been for all of us. This is typically the time when we would be uh, welcoming the children forward. Of course, we're not doing that this morning, but I do want the children to know that I've missed you as well. So, uh, really missed talking with you before messages on Sunday morning, and we hope to get back to Children's Church as soon as we're able. Um, also want to make sure that it's understood, understood that whether you're wearing a mask or not this morning, we're, we're glad you're here, okay? We're glad you're here. Uh, hopefully the recent uh, video services have been sufficient and you found those helpful and enjoyable. They have um, required a considerable amount of work, actually, not necessarily from me, but from uh, some individuals that we've been mentioning from Sunday to Sunday, but Andrew Brown, Jen Robbins, Nate Salo, and Dan Perkins in particular have put a, a lot of work into making sure that those videos get up, even especially Andrew and Nate, because they've had to spend time on Saturday afternoons editing those videos and getting them ready, which has taken a considerable amount of time. So uh, very grateful for them and, and their work on our behalf. Um, I think probably most of us would, would agree <laughs> Uh, if we're just totally honest, that it hasn't been so bad to be at home on Sunday mornings and to get to sleep in a little bit and to watch our services by video in your pajamas with a cup of coffee or however you've chosen to do that. And some of you might be saying, why don't we just do it this way every Sunday? Uh, this is kind of nice, staying home. Do we even need to come here to this place in order to worship. Uh, why don't we worship from home every Sunday? I mean, we could sell the building and make a lot of money, right? I mean, there are potential advantages to this. Now, maybe not all of you feel that way. Uh, I'm guessing that that thought has at least creeped into the minds of many of you, and we're going to be thinking about that here this morning as we look at the 84th Psalm. If you have your Bibles, you can open them up to the 84th Psalm. If you don't have a Bible with you, there should be a paperback Bible underneath one of the chairs in front of you. We're going to depart from Route 66 for this Sunday to look at this Psalm because it's very relevant to the situation in which we find ourselves here. Because in the 84th Psalm, what we find is a person who is longing for worship. Now, I don't mean by that that he's longing to have a personal quiet time or that he's longing necessarily for just his individual worship of God. This is a person who is longing for worship in God's temple. He is longing for worship with God's people. He is longing to go to church. Uh, we sometimes call this corporate worship, and that's what's in view here in Psalm 84, not individual worship, but corporate worship. And we find the writer of this psalm is just passionate for it. 
His heart is filled with longing to be back with God's people and to be back in a place of worship. He can't wait to get to church. Now, maybe some of you have felt that way also in the last few weeks, and I hope so. That's a preferable um, response to the situation that we've been in. I miss church. I can't wait to get back. That's the sentiment that's captured here in the 84th Psalm. Now, one thing we should know about the Psalms is that the Psalms don't always reflect the way we do feel, but they are given to us by God in his grace to cultivate the way we should feel. So as we read this psalm, you might not find yourself thinking, yeah, I'm just longing to be back in in church. I mean, maybe that's not exactly your feeling, but that's okay. We can look at this psalm, study this psalm, and reflect upon it in the prayerful hope that God would give us these kinds of desires and affections, that we would long to be with God's people worshiping in his house. So um, let me read this, Psalm 84. I'll read all 12 verses. Uh, If you're able to stand, please do so. Psalm 84. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young. At your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever sing in your praise. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. O Lord, God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Behold, Our shield, O God, look on the face of your anointed. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. Our God, by your spirit, please open our eyes and hearts to understand and behold wonderful things. In your word, in Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. So the joy of going to church is really what is in mind here. I think that's the main point of this particular psalm. And um, you'll notice that this word blessed appears three times in this psalm, verses 4, 5, and 12. Now, the word blessed just just, uh, means happy. Blessed is the one. Happy is the one. And so there are three things we can see here in this psalm about the happy person in the Lord. And the first thing we're going to consider is this. Happy is the one, first of all, who travels to the house of the Lord. Happy is the one who travels to the house of the Lord. Now, Um, You know, the temple is in mind here in this psalm. Uh, The temple in these times was located in Jerusalem. 
And so if at that time you happened to live in Jerusalem, it would have been quite easy to get to the temple. It was there in your hometown. It's easy to get there. But if you lived in the very north part of Israel or the very south part of Israel, the temple would be far away from you. And it would be a little more difficult to get to the place where corporate worship would take place. You know, today sometimes we say, particularly in America, that there's a church on every corner. Uh, well, you didn't say in biblical times there's a temple on every corner in every town of Israel. It didn't work that way. The temple was in Jerusalem. And so if you wanted to worship in the temple, you had to make what was called a pilgrimage, a pilgrimage to the temple. And in fact, the Old Testament law requires at least males to make a pilgrimage to Jerusalem at least three times a year. They were required to travel to the temple. Now, I know some of you might feel like you have to make a bit of a pilgrimage. I mean, those of you from Upland and <laughs> from Anderson, you're coming from a, a far distance, and perhaps it does feel like a pilgrimage to get to church here on Sunday mornings. Uh, but this was a significant amount of travel for some people to get to the temple. And verses 5 through 9 are talking about this pilgrimage, this travel to Jerusalem. So let's look at these, verses 5 through 9. It says, verse 5, blessed, there it is, happy. Happy is the one who's engaged in this travel. Happy are those whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. So here the psalmist is thinking about the roads that he would be taking to get to the temple. Zion means Jerusalem. So he's longing so much for worship that he's even thinking about his travels there, the route that he would take to get there. Like thinking about I-69 or 600 North or whatever road you take to get to the church. The psalmist is just kind of daydreaming and thinking about these roads. They're in his heart because he's longed so much to worship at the temple. And then verse 6, it says... As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. Now, this valley of Baca is known to be a very dry and arid place. And so the psalmist is considering here that the travel that he would take to get to the temple in Jerusalem was not always easy, that there would be some obstacles. They'd have to go through some desert-like, arid places but he goes on to say they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. In other words, it's okay. We're going to have to go through some hard places, but the Lord's going to provide. There's going to be springs. There's going to be pools. We'll be able to get the water that we need. No problem, no obstacle. We're going to the temple, even though we have to go through the valley of Baca. And then verse 7 it's continuing with this same theme. They go from strength to strength. That is, they're encouraged. They're increasingly excited about getting to Jerusalem. Each one appears before God in Zion because that's what they're envisioning. I'm going to meet with God in the temple. And so I'm excited, and the Lord, by His Spirit, encourages them who are on this pilgrimage and traveling to the temple. In verses 8 and 9, uh, <coughs> O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer offering up a prayer during this uh, pilgrimage. And then here in verse 9, he says, Behold our shield, O God, look on the face of your anointed. Uh, the anointed there probably refers to the king, 
And so what the psalmist is doing is praying to God on behalf of the king because one of the responsibilities of the king would be to protect those who would go on a pilgrimage to get to Jerusalem. That's why this word shield is mentioned in verse 9. Behold our shield. Lord, bless the king because the king is making it possible for us. He's protecting. He's a shield for us as we travel these highways to Zion. The picture we're given here is pretty clear, right? The picture here is that of people who are so eager for worship, so committed to the temple, so excited to be with God's people in corporate worship that they're willing to do whatever it takes to get there. They're willing to take the long journey. It is not an inconvenience. It is not an obstacle for them. They want to be with God's people. And the challenge here for us is just to consider and ask ourselves what kind of priority is corporate worship in our lives? Does it seem to you like an inconvenience to engage in whatever is required to travel to church on Sunday mornings? Are you easily discouraged from coming by various obstacles or difficulties? Now, let me be very clear here that, of course, we understand there are unique circumstances. Sometimes work schedules keep us from being here on Sunday mornings. And, of course, in this time of pandemic and during this time of lockdown, there are some of you who have chosen to stay home today because of your concern about your health. And we just want you to know we respect that. This application point here is not directed to you. I'm talking about in normal circumstances, in normal circumstances, are you willing to be inconvenienced to get to the house of the Lord, that you might worship him? Somebody has said, Thomas Rayner, I think his name is, he said, you know, it used to be that Christians would normally be in church three times a week. That was not unusual 30, 40, 50 years ago. It seems like today if a Christian is in church three times a month, they're doing pretty well, relatively speaking. But here we have the psalmist, filled with passion to be with God's people, travels to the house of the Lord. Let me just offer some practical reasons for going to church. Uh, you know, of course, the scriptures command us to. The scriptures constantly give us this ideal of being with God's people. But just thinking of it on, on a super, you know, practical way, let me suggest some things. One is this. One good reason for going to church is that your presence is an encouragement to others. When you are here, it is a blessing to the rest of us. You might come here on a Sunday and you might not say anything to anybody. Maybe you're more introverted. Maybe you come in a little late and you leave a little early. But I'm telling you, it's a blessing to see you here. It encourages me. I look out, I see your faces. I see sometimes people who are here who haven't been here in a while. And I think about it throughout the rest of the day. It's in my mind, it's in my heart. I'm so glad that that person came and I think others of you probably feel the same way. Don't underestimate the mere power of your presence among God's people on a Sunday morning. The second thing is this. Your going to church is also a witness to your neighbors. Your neighbors might be watching you more than you realize. And they see that you get up on Sunday mornings and get in your car and go somewhere. And they see that you're not out cutting your yard on Sunday mornings. And they notice that. 
I'm more and more convinced that one of the most countercultural things you can do in our current cultural situation is go to church every Sunday. And the third thing is your experience in public worship in a church is a foretaste of heaven. Friends, do you know that when we get to heaven, this is what we're going to be doing, worshiping Jesus on his throne? with God's people, not as isolated individuals having our quiet time in our bedrooms. We're going to be with God's people. It's going to be a corporate gathering, and we're going to be worshiping Jesus for all eternity. I think it was Tozer who said, if, if worship on earth is boring to you, how in the world do you think you're ready for worship in heaven? Going to heaven is largely a matter of worship. And we get a foretaste of that. We get a a, a sampling of that as we gather with God's people on earth now in worship. Now, it's nothing like what worship's going to be like in heaven. It might be a little bit like when you go to see a symphony and you see the symphony always before they perform, they they tune their instruments and it always sounds a little dissonant and there's a little cacophonous there. Uh, That's a little bit what like earthly worship is like. You know, maybe it's never quite as good as we would really like it to be. But man, when the symphony fires up and they play that Mozart or that Beethoven plays, oh, it's just glorious, right? And when we get to heaven, that's what we're going to be doing. We're going to be hearing the symphony of God's people praising Jesus on the throne. And our gathering here today is a foretaste of that. So, happy is the one who travels to the temple. But secondly... Happy is the one who dwells in the house of the Lord. You see that very clearly in verse 4. Blessed, happy are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. Now, one thing I can anticipate that maybe some of you are are thinking at this point is, uh, yeah, but everything you're talking about here is all Old Testament stuff. It's all temple stuff in the Old Testament. We don't have a temple anymore, so... We don't have to do that. We don't have to go to a place because there is no temple for Christians in the New Testament. Now, of course, that's true, but I just want to share with you a passage from the book of Acts that helps kind of put this in perspective. The book of Acts is a New Testament book, and here it says, Acts 2, this is uh, the early church immediately after Pentecost as the Spirit has been poured out on God's people. And here are the disciples, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And day by day, they attended the temple together. And breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. You see, corporate gathering was still important to the early Christians. They went to the temple day by day by day. Now, eventually, meeting in the temple kind of phased out, and you'll see in other New Testament books, you'll see the church meeting in houses sometimes, and then as the church grew, they began to meet in buildings. But the principle is corporate worship continues in the New Testament just like it was important in the Old. One of the signs of regeneration, friends, one of the signs that you're truly a Christian, that you're truly born again, that the Spirit of God has done a work in your heart, is that you want to dwell in the house of God. You want to be with God's people. You want to gather and worship. And that's the heart of the psalmist here. 
He is so longing for worship. And in fact, what he begins to do here in this psalm is he begins to just reflect on what it's like to be at the temple. Apparently, the psalmist is away from the temple. He must be in one of these faraway cities. And he's just kind of reflecting. He's kind of daydreaming on, oh, it's wonderful to be at the temple. And his, his mind kind of goes to think about birds of all things. He begins to think about birds. Look at verse 3. Even the sparrow finds a home. He's thinking of the temple and he thinks of this sparrow flying in the air and the way the sparrow will build its nest maybe in the rafters of the temple. And the sparrow just finds its home there. It just rests there. Uh, It's interesting to note, I don't know if you've heard it even this morning. I heard it earlier this morning, but we have birds in our sanctuary. (laughs) You can hear them tweeting from time to time and even as we film services uh, in uh, the last few Sundays, I remember watching by video and hearing those birds tweeting during the silent confession of sin. Um, that They're here. Uh, what was true here in the Old Testament seems to be true today as well. Uh, we have birds finding their home here, and the psalmist is thinking of this sparrow finding a home. Then he goes on and mentions the swallow as well in uh, verse 3. The swallow finds a nest for herself where she may lay her young, where she may have her babies, builds a nest. And the psalmist is just thinking about this, and basically he's filled with envy for these birds. Like what? These birds get to be in God's house and dwell in God's house permanently, full time. Oh, I wish I were like a bird. It's what the psalmist is thinking. What a blessing to be in God's house all the time. Now, is there any significance to these birds, sparrow and the swallow? Well, you might remember in uh, the book of Matthew that Jesus speaks of the sparrow, and he says, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Right? Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? What does that tell you about sparrows? You can get two of them for a penny. That means they're worth a half a penny apiece. Sparrows apparently very common, regarded as almost worthless. And then you have the swallow. What do we know about the swallow? Well, apparently the swallow is a bird that's just always flying. It's always in the air. It's always a flutter. It can't stand still. It can't land. It won't be quiet. It's always movement. The sparrow is restless. Excuse me, the swallow is restless. The sparrow is worthless. The swallow is is restless. And I wonder if that's the way you feel today. You come and you feel worthless. You're overcome with guilt and shame. You wonder, how could God love a person like me? How could a person like me, with all that I've done, find a place in God's house? Is that you today? You feel worthless. Maybe today you feel restless. You're anxious all the time. Your soul won't settle down. There's no peace in your heart. And you wonder, is there ever a place where I could be at rest? What the psalmist seems to suggest is that the house of God is a place for the worthless and the restless. You can come here and you can know that you are worthy in God's eye because he has sent his son to die for you and to make you worthy. You can come with your restlessness and lay it at the foot of the cross 
and know that you have a place in this world, that God has a plan for you, that life is significant because you belong to him as his child. That's the idea the psalmist has here. That's the kind of people who find a home in God's church. You know, membership in the church of God, I think, is probably the one the one institution where the requirement for membership is not anything you do have, but only what you don't have. To be a member, to be part of the community of faith, you have to come and say, nothing in my hands I bring. I don't have anything except for my sin to lay down at the cross to receive forgiveness from God through Christ. Jesus said he came not for the healthy, not for the righteous. He came for the sick. He came for sinners. He came for birds like sparrows and swallows who find a home in the house of the Lord. So, happy is the one who travels to God's house. Happy is the one who dwells. But then lastly, we have this. Happy is the one who serves in the house of the Lord. Happy is the one who serves there. So we get to the most famous verse here in this psalm, verse 10. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. So this, uh, this, this position of doorkeeper, sometimes called gatekeeper, uh, it is described for us in 1 Chronicles 26. Uh, and if you read that passage, you'll notice that some of the doorkeepers or gatekeepers are called the sons of Korah. Korahites. And if you look at the very beginning of the psalm, that is above verse 1, it says, a psalm of the sons of Korah. So that's very appropriate. 1 Chronicles 26 tells us that the Korahites were gatekeepers. And so it could be that they were even the ones that maybe wrote this psalm. We're not sure who wrote it, but it could be the sons of Korah. But in any case, we have Again, this passion and this longing for the temple that's expressed in two ways here. One, with regard to time, verse 10. A day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. Just one day in the house of God, serving in the temple, serving in the church to the psalmist, one day in the house of God is better than a thousand days in a movie theater, a thousand days in a five-star restaurant, a thousand days in a football stadium, a thousand days at the shopping mall. Better one day in God's house. So in terms of time, the psalmist longs for just a short time, but also in terms of activity. And here's where we get to the psalmist's act of service. He says, I'd rather serve as a doorkeeper, a gatekeeper. Now, this doorkeeper was generally regarded as one of the lowest tasks to be performed in the temple. It would be maybe a a little bit like how some regard janitors today. So he's saying, I'd rather be a janitor in the house of God than dwell with the wicked elsewhere. In other words, I'd rather take out the trash in God's house. I would rather sweep the floor I would rather clean the toilets in God's house rather than be in the places of wickedness elsewhere. You know, sometimes people talk about the place to be. You know, where is the place to be? The place to be is at the football game Friday night. The place to be is in a big 
metropolitan, cosmopolitan city like New York City, that's the place to be. What the psalmist is saying is this. The place to be is in God's house. But you want to be in the best place on earth. Go to the house of the Lord. So we see this kind of movement here. He, he, he travels. He longs for traveling to the temple. He, he longs to dwell in the temple with God's people. Lastly, he, he longs to serve and to actually contribute to God's kingdom work in the temple. Martin Luther says this about this verse. He says, just kind of trying to summarize it. Let the world have their rich ones, their powerful ones, and their wise ones, and their consolations in this world. Let them trust in glory, in their wisdom, their might, their wealth, their possessions. My heart triumphs at the living God. And by traveling, dwelling, serving in the temple, we demonstrate that, that our hope is in the living God, not in what this world has to offer through its wisdom might or wealth now the good news friends is that you don't have to travel or make a pilgrimage to jerusalem in order to be saved isn't that good news we don't have to get on a plane we don't have to fly to jerusalem because relationship with god is not found in going to a particular place but going to a particular person and if you look back to John chapter 2, we have this description of Jesus. Jesus speaks of his, of his body as the temple. And he says, I am going to raise up this temple in three days. And of course, the Pharisees, they don't understand that. But what Jesus was saying is that in his person, he is now the embodiment of the temple on earth. And that he has come to lay down his life to pay for sins on the cross and then raise it up again in his glorious resurrection. So that now we know that the way to have relationship with God is not going to a place or going in a building, but going to a person. Repenting, receiving this Jesus and the forgiveness that he offers on the cross and giving yourself to him. To be saved, friends, it's not going to a temple, it's going to Jesus. But once we're saved. We go to church. We go to the house of God. We long to dwell in a place like this because we want to give God, Jesus, all the praise, all the thanks, all the honor, all the worship that is appropriate for all that he has done for us. Indeed, it is true, friends, that here among God's people and in his church, that's the place to be. God, we thank you for this psalm. We pray, O oh Lord, that by your spirit you would use it to cultivate our hearts, to develop in us new affections for you and to worship you and to be with your people. Please do that, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.